0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast, your go-to podcast for meaningful conversations with influential leaders across different sectors every week. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of intent and how it can be used to unlock the potential of your workforce. And a lot of people think that if they just put in the hours, they'll be successful, but that's not always the case, especially in today's age of personalization. The key is to unlock potential by understanding the intent of your employees and your entire workforce. Stay tuned, and we'll discuss and explain what this means in a bit more detail. Now, our guest today is Seth Teigen. Seth is the CEO of Providence Mission Hospital. He's a highly experienced healthcare executive with over 25 years in leading nonprofit healthcare systems. Seth was recognized as one of the 50 rising stars in healthcare under the age of 40 by Becker's Hospital Review and currently sits on the board of the South Orange County Economic Coalition. Now, Together, we'll be discussing the principles of engagement and motivation and how you can apply them to your business. Now, before we get started, please click the like button below, share it with your colleagues and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glen Yopis. Let's get started. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak Podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes, and other life-threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Glenn. It's great to see you again. Great to see you too, Seth. Now, you know, we've had a lot of offline discussions around just how much things have changed, right? And everything's changed. People have changed. People feel uncertain. Uh, Many of them seem to be losing hope. Uh, We've seen the the mass exodus of employees. And we now see that there's an urgent need across all sectors to focus on how we best and better attract them, retain them, engage, and activate them to reach their highest potential. But we've also seen now, Seth, that talent has the upper hand. Now, people can essentially go where they want to. And we need, in many respects, we need to re-recruit our own people. To kind of summarize it, it's Become less about the business defining the individual and much more about the individual defining the process towards the mission. So, on this note, Seth, tell us the story of what gave you rise into leadership and why does leadership matter so much to you?
1: Yeah, I have kind of an interesting story, Glenn. I mean, truly starting at the entry level in healthcare. Uh, When I was 14 years old, I started my career as a dishwasher at a local community hospital uh, in the town that I grew up in and continued to do that as I went to college. And once I got into college and decided that I didn't want to be a teacher, because that's initially what I thought I wanted to do in a principal, which ironically, being a hospital chief executive, a lot of times uh, you're a teacher and a lot of times you're a principal, I tell people. Um, But Became a clinical person, became an x-ray tech and a CT tech, worked as a clinical person for a few years. And then got into leadership pretty early in my career. went back and got my bachelor's and master's degree. And 16 years ago, um, at at the age of 24, I, I got my first supervisor position. And really how that started is as a clinical person, I looked at the leaders that we had, not in a critical way, but I looked at the job that they were doing and said, I could do that job. And when I became a supervisor, I looked at my manager and I thought, well, gosh, I could be a manager. And when I was a manager, I thought I could be a director and uh, so on and so forth. And so it went from supervisor, manager, director, uh, regional director, vice president, regional vice president, all the way to this is my fifth year being a, a hospital CEO. Uh, I tell people I'm living the dream, uh, you know, kind of at one point in my career, uh, I knew this was the end goal or the aspiration for what I ultimately wanted to do. And the reason that I get excited about leadership, I think, ties back to the work that I did from the time I was 14 years old to the time I was 24 years old, washing dishes, transporting patients, taking x-rays, doing CT scans, um, that desire to be in leadership and support the people that are touching and interacting with our patients, with their family members, with the rest of the care delivery team, with our physician partners. Um, it's a, it's a great responsibility. And actually it's something that I get excited about all the time. I would tell you, I miss patient care a lot. Um, the feeling that it gave me when I would walk out of the doors at night and know that you made a difference in another human being's life and that you were part of their healing process or their diagnosing um, process. Uh, But you can get that same joy as a leader. I think if you, if you have the right priorities and the right vision around how you want to lead in this era of personalization. And if you make that the focal point, you can really still get that same joy when you walk out of the, the, the double doors of the hospital at night.
0: Seth, that's inspiring. I wish uh, more leaders uh, felt that way. And I, I know that intentionality for you is important in, in how not only how you lead, but work, learn and conduct business. I mean, how, how did you evolve into this type of leader that cares so much about intentionality? Uh, I, I think one really great
1: teachers, really great mentors. I tell people all the time, screwed a lot of stuff up, uh, especially earlier in my leadership career. I mean, it took a lot of lumps along the way, um, but it, it's easier when, when you find what I call a recipe that works. So I try to articulate to our, our caregivers, we have about 2,800 people that work between our two hospital campuses and every new caregiver orientation, I give the same speech. I talk about our priorities, which are quality, safety, patient experience, caregiver engagement, financial performance. But the secret sauce in the recipe is universal, I think, in business, not just in healthcare, and it's the people. And once you understand that the people are the secret sauce, the, the people can set you free as a leader in during a crisis or really hard times, like we've gone through the past couple of years in healthcare and in society, in a workforce that's engaged. That feels like they have a voice in their work. That they understand and respect the vision of the organization. Where are we going? What are we here for? Um, they understand our values. Uh, part of working in Catholic healthcare is serving the underserved, uh, and I think that binds people to our organization because there's a specialness to what we do. This this idea that we're blind to people's ability to pay, but ultimately, as a frontline caregiver. Uh, as somebody that's doing patient care, it's that idea of, do I have a voice in my work? Am I heard? Can I help shape the way that we do things here? And part of the healthcare organization, so we're a magnet organization. That's part of who we are in the nursing organization. But we want that to, through kind of osmosis, go throughout the entire organization. That's how we behave in everything that we do, hmm. in all the decisions that we make. The people closest to the work. Need to have their fingerprints all over it the worst thing that we can do i work for a great guy a guy by the name of dr frank Byrne once upon a time he used to have this saying where it was we don't want people in a room with no windows making the decisions about what the frontline caregivers and physicians are going to do and i've carried that with me uh, and i repeat it often to say we have to get feedback from our caregivers and physicians around this strategy or this new piece of equipment or this change. And there's lots of change, as you know, in healthcare and in the world that we live in. Um, And I think that gives us the upper hand uh, a lot of times uh, when we talk about retaining uh, or recruiting top talent to the organization.
0: Well, this takes us to uh, how we make sure that we take care of the totality of our people. And I know that you believe that if people are better outside of work, they will be better performers at work uh, this is certainly your motto. Uh, how did you come up with it, and why do you believe in it? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I came up with it myself. I feel like I saw it somewhere, read it somewhere
1: <laughs> once upon a time. I can probably Google it and tell you who who originally said it. But I, but I I really do subscribe to this. Um, you know, our organization, Providence, our CEO Rod Hockman has proclaimed that this is the year of the caregiver, and uh, this idea that gosh, everything we've been through these past couple of years, we're going to double down. Um, on how we attract, retain, and take care of the people that serve in this organization. I kind of took a little different spin on it recently with our leadership team at the beginning of the year and said, this is the year of the leader, the year of the healthcare leader, because our healthcare leaders are caregivers. They've been through those same trials and tribulations. Uh, They essentially were the people working seven days a week uh, around the clock, while a lot of people maybe had the opportunity or luxury In some cases, to work from home or work remotely, if you worked in the hospital, you still came through the doors every day. And so we've challenged our leadership team to really try to put work-life balance in being better at home, being a better spouse, being a better parent, being a better child, being a better community member, um, being a better parishioner. uh, If you're uh, involved in a church, all of those things, I think we recognize if you're better outside the four walls of the hospital, I guarantee you'll be better inside. And the reason it's important, Glenn, is our frontline caregivers, they have a relationship with their supervisor, manager, director, and during really hard times, like we've gone through and like we're still in, it's still a challenging time. Now we have the financial challenges in all of healthcare, as I'm sure you're reading across the country. Our leaders, if they're more engaged, again, it trickles down through the organization. So in a hard time, if I'm a frontline caregiver and I look to my supervisor or manager and they're not engaged, or they don't want to be there, it really doesn't help my situation. It doesn't make me want to be here more. Um, but again, if I have a relationship with them, if they can inspire me, if they listen to me, if I feel heard, and I know they're engaged, that helps drive my engagement. Um, and ultimately, what happens in our recipe, then is patients feel and patients measure us by patient satisfaction. Uh, the analogy I give at our new caregiver orientation is I've been to lots of great restaurants and had mediocre service, and the food didn't taste as good. And I've been to mediocre restaurants with the most incredible weight staff, and I thought the food tasted better. And I think that translates into how we provide the patient experience in hospitals or clinics or in healthcare that customer service is still desired by all of us. And (laughs) part of what drives that I'm going to be, I'm going to provide great customer service, or I'm going to provide great patient care is engagement. And so it it all kind of ties together in this ecosystem, where I call it our recipe of, of how the organization can continue to move the needle and continue to improve over time. It starts with the people and how engaged they are. They don't like coming through the doors of the hospital. They're not going to be with us during easy times. They're not going to be with us during hard times. And our patients are going to vote with their feet, most likely.
0: So, Seth, let's dig dig a little deeper on this. I mean, we live at a time now where, I mean, it's just amazing just how much we're not in tuned with what's really going on in people's lives. Why do you think it's important for leaders to create more intimate relationships where we get to build that level of trust so that we not only know what's going on in people's lives, but how it affects them when they come to work. I mean, today's times are tough and people are struggling. I mean, how do you approach that as a leader? So I think one, we recognize when you know one
1: person, you know one person, right? We all have our, our own trials and tribulations and our own stories outside of, outside of work. And that might be a personal health issue. It might be an aging parent. You might have uh, children or a child that's a challenge at home. There might be struggles at school. There might be struggles with your marriage. I mean, there's all this stuff. And I think as leaders, we have this responsibility, not just to manage. I I don't even like that word that much. I mean, we really need to lead. And part of leading is getting to know the people that you're leading and making that personal connection with them. And again, that, that kind of bleeds over into a whole host of things. If I know my supervisor and I trust him or her, and they ask me to do something extra, I certainly feel more inclined to help him or her versus the supervisor that doesn't even know my name. And I've worked here for six months and passes me in the hall and doesn't acknowledge me and doesn't do something as simple as ask me about my weekend, Um, you know, and wants to create that dialogue to get to know me better as a person. We have a great statement in this organization, which I love, which is know me, care for me, ease my way. And we talk about this in New Caregiver Orientation all the time. We want to know our caregivers um, and ultimately ease their way as they go through their orientation process. So when they get through that first 90 days, they don't even have a thought in their mind about leaving the organization. Um, So I just think it's it's part of how any good company or business should run um, but especially in an in industry where we have people taking care of people we're not building something we're not manufacturing something That's people are coming to us in their most vulnerable state saying things like save me help me cure me diagnose me um, there's a lot of responsibility there just as a human being um, and so I think we we try to create a culture in our organization where that's out front and center. And once we're all grounded in that, I think as a clinical person, it's easy to get excited about quality and safety and patient experience because for most of us, that's why we chose to get into healthcare.
0: Well, and that takes us to the importance of culture and how you know historically healthcare has been a lot of <laughs> really has been driven by hierarchy. And so, how do we start breaking down this hierarchy that's been established as a standard for over a hundred years? I mean, isn't it time to create a new legacy model that gives people the freedom to have input without judgment or consequences? I, 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 I love that and couldn't
1: agree more. And the way that I try to describe it is um, you know the upside down pyramid. Hmm. The, the legacy way of thinking about leadership would be that I'm the chief executive of the hospital and I'm on top of the pyramid, and all these All these people, the medical staff, everyone, the people that clean the hospital, uh, the people that provide patient care, they work for me. Um, And I have the exact opposite philosophy of that. And I don't think it's unique to me. I think it's just a good leadership philosophy that, again, I try to share with our caregivers Is I work for them. I mean, I have twenty eight hundred bosses. I have eight hundred bosses on the medical staff and where we get our credibility as leaders is listening, intentionally listening, being inquisitive. About ways that we can make the organization better, and that could be from a quality and safety standpoint. That could be the food we offer in the cafeteria, or we're going to make parking easier. Or there's a benefit that we didn't provide last year, but we want to provide it now because it's feedback we heard from the people that need those benefits in order to be successful while they're at the job. So I think it's 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 a little bit different than maybe the old command and control um, mantra from years and years ago. And I think the command and control works from time to time. You have to have that skill set where Even myself as the chief executive, sometimes I have to make the decision and it can't be by consensus and it can't be um, maybe driven from the ground up. But I'd say the majority of the time, the people closest to the work, again, have to have their fingerprints all all over everything that we do. And that's a bit of a mind mind change, too, for our leadership team. I mean, I I think it's been embraced. I'm coming up on my three-year anniversary this next month, Um, and I think folks have found if they... Will just use this philosophy. It's so simple. Um, but if they will use this philosophy, they can create a different level of engagement with their frontline caregivers. And then surprise, surprise, it drives the results. And the results is ultimately as leaders. That's what we're helped
0: to. So what do you tell a leader that's so indelibly steeped in the old ways of doing things uh, that can't even comprehend what you're talking about now? I mean, how do we help a leader? I mean, there's a lot of leaders that listen to this podcast and they're quite candidly looking for a different way of leading, but just don't know how.
1: Yeah. Well, well, one thing that I I try to share with our, our, even our senior leaders is um, so, you know, I have, I have numerous direct reports as the chief executive uh, and I tell our senior leaders all the time, I don't have an interest in managing you. Um, you know, you're you're a senior leader. You're a content expert. You know, I am not the chief nursing officer. I'm not the chief medical officer. I'm not i not the CFO. Um, you know, I'm surrounded by brilliant people, um, but there is an expectation that we're going to lead collectively in a certain way. And I think sometimes where it's challenging is, um, and it's not an ageism comment. It's just later careerists if that's the way that they were potentially brought up, or even early careerists in the first couple mentors that they had. Um, they had a style of, they were on top, all the decisions were top down uh, and that's the way to operate and get things done. I mean, I think that's all, and I don't want to say fixable because it's not really broken. It's just a different way of uh, leading and managing. I think once you can demonstrate to people, they can get results faster, make work more enjoyable, uh, have better work-life balance themselves. And uh, what I try to get our senior leaders in particular to think about is where we get our real input. And we have to we have to manage a lot through influence and lead a lot through influence because the organization is so big. Is through making the people around us more powerful and more influential. I love that. Um, I want the people that I get the chance to work with every day to be more powerful and influential in the organization because it makes my job easier. Um, and by the way, it provides them with a certain amount of pride and autonomy. Uh, you know, that's the other thing about that old command and control style is that's. You know, Glenn, you work for me and I'm going to tell you what to do, Um, where I I think kind of the upside down pyramid philosophy is, um, Glenn, you're closest to the work. You have the freedom. All I want is the results. So figure out how we can get the result that we agree to. Um, And it's also the opportunity to not get it right. Again, I had the blessing of working for people that allowed me to take on new challenges throughout the course of my career that I frankly had no business doing. Um, You know, but they knew I'd say yes. Uh, They they knew they knew I was somebody that wanted to go places professionally and that I would be happy to take on the challenge for no additional pay and just the opportunity to do something. But I think you can to to get to your question. I know it's a long answer, but I really think it's about you can get better results faster and have a different level of engagement leading in a way that's more personalized and focused on.
0: This is what people want. They don't want to be told how to do the work. They want to be given the freedom to experiment, to over deliver on the work. And that's exactly what you're telling us, that yeah. sometimes we just need to let go. And especially at a time with such you know, fast paced change, if we're not empowering our people, how can in the world can we ever get out in front of change if only the people at the top are dictating how people should work? So I'm right how, how would you ever have work-life balance, Glenn. You know, we talk burnout, burnout, burnout. That's
1: been a theme in healthcare for years and years and yeah. years. And by the way, sometimes as leaders, we create our own burnout. So if, if I think I need to be involved with every decision that happens at this, at this major medical center, that's, you know, in my background here, I'd probably lose my marriage, lose my kids, you know, lose everything outside of work because all I would do is work. You have to trust and empower the people around you and then hold them accountable to the results. I mean, people don't always get it right. I, I, I screw up with, with some regularity, um, and, but I'm thankful that I, I have a boss that, um, you know, Kevin manneman that, that doesn't, doesn't come to me and say, this is how you need to lead the hospital. He says, these are the results we want. Go get them.
0: Um,
1: and, and I love that. And I, I try to lead my leadership team that way, the same thing. Here's the goals. Here's the metrics for the year. Here's the expectation we've been given by our board, our community members. Um, how are we going to do it? What ideas do you have? But the goals aren't going to change. They're they're only kind of get more challenging probably as the years go.
0: So, Seth, as we, you know, start wrapping it up here. I mean, part of what you are doing is setting forth an example for the next generation. I mean, look, you're young guy, major responsibility. Uh, people can look at you and say, "Wow! If he can do it that young, so can I." I mean, I'm sure you think about the responsibility that you have in, uh, in really, creating the path for the next generation of healthcare leader. Uh, and you sit right in between this old and new model of leadership. So, how can healthcare providers do a better job of creating a path, a path forward for emerging leaders to be the next CEO? Identify talent. I I tell people
1: with intentionality, we should be asking the folks that are coming into our organization, what do you want to do when you grow up? Who do you want to be? What are your professional aspirations? And when we get the answers that we put together plans with these people to help them get, I I mean, I've told the story so many times about sitting down as a radiology manager, with a gentleman by the name of John Roberts, uh, the CEO of Pro Healthcare, uh, Oconomowoc Memorial Hospital in Wisconsin, he asked me that question. And I told him I wanted to be a hospital CEO. He spent the next half a dozen years giving me every single uh, responsibility that I didn't deserve or had no knowledge of, um, or every single project to manage that again I had no knowledge or business of uh, business acumen to. Uh, in in the spirit of wanting to expose me to other things to get me to ultimately where I wanted to go. And so him and a handful of other people, I really feel like I owe my entire career to they, they were, they were the type of leaders that we all want to work for. Um, They want to help you achieve your goals. They'll give you the freedom to fail. They will course correct uh, when necessary, but always in the way of, it's going to make you better, never in the way of you really screwed this up. And, you know, now here's the penalty that you have to pay. It was always this idea of exposing you to all these things. So I think one being inquisitive, always asking folks around you. I, I, when I first started this job, I sat down with every single person on the senior leadership team and I asked them all, uh, you know, a handful of the same questions. And one of those is, what do you want to do? I mean, and that's kind of a tricky question when you have your boss, new boss asking it. Um, but I think people have understood over time. The reason I asked that question is it helps us plan together their professional development to get them where they want to go. Cause Yeah, but I'll use my chief operating officer as an example. He's a chief executive now. He's going to have his one-year anniversary. We worked for two years together on a plan to make sure he was going to get a few of the things he was missing from a professional experience standpoint that he could sit in a boardroom and articulate to a board around why he was the right choice to become a chief executive. And so it can be done. Uh, It just takes some, I think, inquisition. uh, And it also takes some planning. and, uh, And it's really fun to grow the people around you. So I think it's the best thing in the world.
0: Well, Seth, look—you're always an inspiration. I always enjoy spending time with you, and I certainly appreciate you sharing your wisdom with our audience. And you know, look—it's a—it's a a new day, and leadership certainly is at a a tipping point. It's either going to evolve or it's going to crash, and uh, we better start evolving pretty quickly because there's new expectations from our employees. Clearly, our patients uh, want the best care possible, and if we don't prepare our people to be the right leaders, for those patients and the communities that we serve not going to be around much longer. I mean, let's face it, times are changing. Any final comments or anything else you'd like to share before we close? No, I just want to say thank you.
1: Glenn's been great to get to know you over the past handful of months. And uh, I love this movement that you're on this, you know, this personalization of leadership. It just, it resonates with me as I've shared with you. Um, I don't know why I'm this way this way. It's just, how I was mentored, how I was brought up as a kid and um, how I've always thought leadership should work. So uh, look forward to hopefully getting to do more work with you like this in the future, because I think it's so meaningful and we should get people excited about leading in this way again, because if you lead in this way, you'll get the results and you'll hang on to the top talent that has a choice to go at this point, anywhere in the country, pretty much the job market is so hot. So thanks again for having me.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you again, Seth. And as we always leave the show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Have a great day. Thank you, Seth. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, Visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.